This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. And welcome into the Huskies Warming House podcast, episode number 126. Here in the den, myself, Noah Grant, alongside Nick Maxson. Nick, it's a pleasure to have you here uh, on this Saturday, I guess, afternoon, pushing into the evening here as we recap uh, and preview some more college hockey and uh, women's world hockey in our extra ice session. Going to be pretty exciting to talk about the start of that tournament that has been a long-awaited tournament. Uh couple of uh, current and former St. Cloud State Huskies that are uh, on the docket for that tournament and uh, mm-hmm. a handful of them doing pretty well. So I uh, excited to talk about that as well as the team coming in, unfortunately, Nick, at number three in the standings. So for those of you keeping track of our NCHC previews, we skipped a have- number. Yeah, you now have an idea of where a particular team that we cover might be sitting, but we'll explain more. There's there's more to that story than just a flat out uh, ranking on that one. So I we we took a, took a lot of thought into that one and kind of went back and forth. So besides that, a very short Huskies Illustrated weekly roundup, and of course we start as always with Center Ice View news and notes. Center Ice View news and notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. few news and notes noah the illustrated weekly roundup as always just a handful of signings to talk about this week uh detroit uh finally re-upping phillips adina three-year deal um about 1.8 million dollars a season to keep him as a detroit red wing um how about this one tampa signing d-man uh philippe myers one-year extension worth about 1.4 million um already signed at 2.55 million this season so nice to Tampa's looking ahead and, you know, giving them an extension uh, well before they needed to, essentially. But yeah. the biggest and, one. And, oh, sorry. He, I was just saying he was the guy that obviously was part of that Ryan McDonough trade, too. And yep. a lot of people were thinking the Lightning were just going to buy him out for cap space. So good for the Lightning to really, like, I don't want to say give him a chance, but, like, they didn't just pick him up just for collateral cap damage. Like, they intend right. to use him. So Yes. Yes, they do. Um, and, uh, like I said, a good pickup for, for Tampa going back, even though it's, you know, not – you know, fun to lose a, a defenseman um, of the caliber is Ryan McDonough. Yeah, he may be not the most fleet of foot, and he's definitely, you know, maybe showing some signs of aging, but still a very good, well-rounded defenseman. And then tell you what, Nashville is excited to have number 27 again from uh, South St. Paul. Uh, but the biggest signing, Noah, it's Phil Thrill. <laughs> yes, Phil Kessel, um, a $1.5 million deal and with 
the Vegas Golden Knights of all teams. Um, must have, you must have yeah. good hot dogs down at T-Mobile. Uh, something. Um, <laughs> well, at least it's not, uh, well, the new trend, which is what, a hot dog straw? Oh, yeah. Going around. Yeah, uh, I saw that. The guy at the, the baseball game. The baseball game, but, yeah. You know, here's the thing. I, I can't believe we're talking about this. I, uh, you know, I, and I don't, I'm, I'm not a fan of it. Like it's kind of gross, but at the same time, one, like, I don't really care what other people do at this point. Like, um, like I work in a hospital. So like, that's a good day. If somebody is just drinking beer through a hot dog straw, <laughs> hot dog um, straw. but like how many of us have taken a Twizzler and drank water through a Twizzler? Like, is it really that different? I don't, I, I, um, a little bit but anyway (laughs) (laughs) um you know interesting right because phil kessel is um he's a still motivated player again he's 34 so he's getting up there but still even with arizona maybe his numbers weren't reflective but you kind of wonder how much of that is and no disrespect to arizona how much it is being on a team of like the arizona coyotes you know probably does hurt a little bit um i still think he's some left to put in Mm -hmm. the tank and that's a pretty good team friendly deal and for a team that could use a little bit more oomph at a cheap cost. Um, you could be a pretty good depth forward and contributor. And dare I say, maybe with the right mix, you could actually have a nice rebound season. Don't you agree, Noah? Yeah, 52 points and 82 games for him last season. In fact, uh, he factored in on uh, just under 22% of the Coyotes' total scoring last year. So that gives you an idea of how productive he was in a team that really was not very good. And, mm-hmm. you know, the biggest thing, for Phil Kessel, and we know that this has been a priority for him from day one. He he really likes playing in, in buildings that have more than four thousand fans. You know, it's really important oh, for him yeah. to, you know, <laughs> and obviously Vegas has that. I'm kidding. That's very facetious for those who weren't following that. I mean, I'm sure he does, obviously, but uh, yeah, a much bigger building than uh, where Arizona is headed this season. So it's kind of a nice little rejuvenation for him. I would have liked to seen him go to any other team, but Vegas, just with the recent brouhaha's that they've had but it's a low risk high reward contract i mean he was a guy that i mean 52 points and 82 games in your mid 30s is you know nothing to scoff at in the nhl so pretty good pickup i know he was rumored to be in minnesota potentially uh you know and at that price point i don't know why the wild maybe wouldn't pull the trigger on something like that maybe just as having a power play specialist winger but at the same time the young guys are obviously coming up in the state of hockey too so good to see uh the former golden gopher get a chance uh down there in sin city yeah and i still think one and a half million maybe over the wild cap limit so yeah uh, i but i digress um <laughs> speaking of one and a half million dollars that is very well worth spending carolina uh, giving out that same term to paul stastny on a year deal um for paul stastny Noah, uh, he's still at his age now mind you he's 37 uh, 36 or 37, 36. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, still had 45 points in 71 games. He's had maybe some injury issues over the last couple of seasons, but still a very valuable centerman as a depth centerman. And how about this between the faceoff dot, one of his key strings over 57% last year. And yeah. you talk about, you know, the game and puck possession and why and how that's become so important. Well, it starts in the faceoff dot. If you can control faceoffs, whether it's trying to win one back in the defensive zone or gain an advantage in the offensive zone. This is a sneaky, nice little pickup here for Carolina. Yeah, Paul Stastny has been a wild killer for a lot of years, too. So it's yes. nice to see him move out of the division away from Winnipeg and over uh, in Carolina. Carolina is a weird team. Uh, you yeah. know, they're like they're like if another tra- team tried to copy like the Golden State Warriors, like you bring all the, the veterans into the fold, except for the fact that the veterans are like somewhat slightly past their prime a little bit. 
And yep. it's, you know, it's, it's, it's like a, like an off-brand version of Golden State, so to speak. So it's yeah. an interesting experiment that we're going to find out if it works this year. And it's, uh, dare I say, they're going for it this yeah. year, 100%. Yeah. Um, again, uh, bringing in Brent Burns, uh, again, Paul Stastny, some nice depth. I mean, there's a lot to like about Carolina. But then again, there's a lot to like about them. Last season still, unfortunately, fell short, I believe, in the second round. So um, how about this, though? Speaking of not falling short, meaning falling short of the contract signature line, a couple of RFAs with the New York Islanders um, also re-inking with the club. Uh, first one, Noah Dobson, uh, three years, $4 million annually. Alexander Romanoff, again, the recent pickup from Montreal in that trade, three years, $2.5 million. And then Kiefer Bellows, the Minnesota native. Uh, Bellows might be a last name people even across the my age might remember um, one year, $1.2 million for his contract. So Islanders trying to keep uh, some of the young guns in within their system. And since, uh, well, I can't seem to get anybody else in the building. Uh, Lou Lamorello, apparently just striking out swinging with the UFA market. Let's go right down the RFA market and get the job done there. Yeah, definitely. Kiefer Bell is a little bit of a curious case, the 19th overall pick a couple of years ago, and uh, only 67 total NHL games for him. So uh, mm -hmm. trying to see if he can live up to that contract. It's been a bit of a rocky road for him. Um, of course, the right. former U.S. national development team player. So yes. uh, wishing all those guys the best of luck uh, next season in the NHL. Two more topics here uh, to roll through. Uh, after 14 seasons, Kyle Turris retiring from the National Hockey League, 425 points in 776 NHL games. Uh, played for four teams, started his career with Arizona, the team that drafted him. Didn't really have a whole lot of success in the desert. Mm -hmm. Went to Ottawa next and really kind of took off, earned some big contracts there. Over to Nashville for uh, I, what was kind of a very mediocre tenure and then had a mm -hmm. slight little resurgence in Edmonton to end his career. He's only 33 years old, so he's a guy that was actually in and out of the league a lot quicker than I think a lot of people remember. Uh, and he was a guy yes. that, like I said, after he – left Ottawa and stopped playing for the sense he kind of became lost in the depth charts for some of these teams a little bit, but still, uh, still a decent little player. Yeah. And it was, it was such a curious case, especially Nashville player, uh, you know, fans when they brought him over, um, you know, to bolster the lineup, they really were expecting a lot more production than the way got from him. And like you said, very curious case. It, it just never seemed to make sense where the lack of production like what the reasons were behind that. Um, granted, I know that, you know, he played on teams where there was Matt Duchesne and Ryan Johansson, Philip Forsberg. So he was surrounded by plenty of talent. And for whatever reason, maybe just one of those curious cases where it was the perfect mesh in Ottawa, maybe just had the, the right teammates um, up there with the Sens that really, you know, was able to be most beneficial for his game. But as you mentioned, not fantastic in Arizona, Ottawa, that was where I think most people will see or remember uh, most of his body of work from. Mm -hmm. And then Nashville started off promising, but really, really steep decline there. And then Edmonton, just a cup of coffee, a depth sign, and even then um, was in another lineup. So um, as you mentioned, 33 years of age, uh, I wouldn't have guessed that they would have retired this young. But uh, unfortunately for Turris, uh, NHL career, at least playing dice, is over for him as well. Yeah, you go back even five or six years, those tail end of the Ottawa years, and yeah, I don't think you would have really guessed that he would be out of the league, you know, within no. half a decade. Um, but nonetheless, speaking of guys out of the league, our last topic here, kind of a sad one here. Uh, Columbus yeah. says Alexander Texier will not join the Blue Jackets this season. Per the advice and recommendation of the NHL and NHLPA Substance Abuse and Behavioral Health Program. Now, from our understanding uh, here, it is more on the mental health side of things, not related to substance abuse. So uh, he said, quote, during the past year, I have experienced some personal issues and challenges, and I feel I need to be close to my family at this time. 
This is a hard decision, but it is the best one for me right now. Blue Jackets general manager Yarno Kekalainen said, uh, Alex and I recently had a very long conversation in which he indicated to me that he was not ready to resume a career in the NHL at this time. We are disappointed that he won't be joining us this season, but his mental health and well-being remain top priority, and we will continue to support him in any way we can. So this came out a couple days ago, and a day later, uh, per the agreement with the NHL, players in this program can sign a one-year contract in Europe. He has done that with the ZSC Lions in the Swiss League in Switzerland, which is uh, just over a 260-mile drive from his home in France. So a little mm -hmm. bit closer to family, some mental health things going on. So, you know, this is something that, um, I think to be frank, uh, you probably wouldn't see five or 10 years ago, you know, coming out. And I think with the recognition of mental health and the, and this health and safety of players coming to the forefront here, it's sad to see him go. Cause I think he, you know, he had a career career year last year before he got he hurt, hurt in January. Um, you know, he's a promising young player. Hopefully he comes back to North America at some point, but you hope that he finds, you know, the inner peace and strength that he's looking for. And I think the big question a lot of fans have is, so he's not ready to join the NHL. So why go over to Europe and play hockey? Right. Um, it's interesting, right? Because when you, we talk about professional athletes, right. Um, regardless of whether you're working on mental health or, you know, again, could be substance abuse or something, right. You're still a professional athlete, which means, you know, you're, you're still trying to keep your body in shape, um, and I think as a competitor too, right. You know, I think we often forget that these guys just, you know, they kind of sometimes will make sacrifices on themselves, including mental health. Uh, yeah. so that way they can compete. Right. And so it's one of those deals where it's probably a sense of normalcy. Um, again, being close to home probably helps. Again, we don't know the full extent uh, of the, of the reasoning we, we, we have speculative information at best, but, right. um, I, like you said, I think the biggest key takeaway here is that you know it seems like there really has been a shift from not only the league but also even the the organizations to really be supportive and to say hey you're going through some things we have a program in place we have support for you in every way we can yes take some time away yes get healthy both in the mental um side of things if that's the case and uh and when you get back and as you mentioned promising young player he he looks he's good we'll put it yeah. that way um but can hopefully even flourish more um, after things hopefully get sorted out. And as you mentioned before, hopefully that we do see him back here in the U S and the NHL in a year's time. Couldn't agree more. Speaking of sorting things out themselves and a lot of stuff to go through, we're going to go through our next NCHC preview here in the main show. And welcome into the Huskies Warming House podcast, episode number 126 here. And we are creeping down to the second half of our NCHC previews here. Our next team on the docket, Nick, coming in at number three, the Minnesota Duluth Bulldogs, who, mm -hmm. in case you haven't picked up on this, we are going in reverse order of the grid order, so to speak, uh, for the teams and what we believe their finishing order will be in the standings next season. Number eight was Miami, number seven, Omaha, number six, Colorado College, and number five, Western Michigan, which means that the number four St. Cloud State Huskies uh, 
which will be our last NCHC preview regardless. We have them slotted at that spot. Duluth comes in at number three here. And before you're a St. Cloud State fan and you shut us off, we do have a reasoning for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't forget, this is a team last season, of course, playing in Amsoil Arena, which was completed uh, right around 2012 in Duluth, Minnesota. Uh, capacity of 6,726, a beautiful, gorgeous building that they play in up yes, there in nice. Duluth. Uh, what a perfect hockey building. Uh, Scott Sandlin in his 23rd season with the club this upcoming year uh, with Adam Krause in his fifth campaign. And then Cody Chupp in his first season as an assistant coach with the team uh, spent the last eight years in the USHL, three of those with Green Bay, three with the Lincoln Stars, and two with the Muskegon Lumberjacks in the USHL. He makes his uh, first appearance at the Division One level. And then Brant Nicklin, who's the goaltending volunteer coach in his ninth season, has, has some uh, current goaltending records still with this team uh, to this day. So had a really good career in the late 90s, early 2000s. So, Nick, we talk about that we have this team at number three. This was a team that NCHC finishing wise last year was fifth out of eight tied with St. Cloud for 36 points, lost the tiebreaker to St. Cloud, but sure shoved it in the Huskies face the following weekend. Yes, they did. Um, you know, we have this team at number three and you and I kind of went back and forth where I had St. Cloud at three. You had them at four. We kind of talked about it a little bit um, and thought, you know, maybe St. Cloud, you know, this is a matchup that Duluth, we have them at three, but maybe by a point or two. I mean, mm-hmm. these are two teams that are almost identical here. Uh, for you, since you were the advocate for this team, and rightfully so, I think, you know, looking back at the uh, the incoming freshmen and all the other things that we talked about personally, what is it about this Duluth team that you saw last year moving into this year that you feel puts them in the top three in the NCHC? Uh, to me, their defense and their goals handing, uh, to me is really, and, and granted that's the whole, that's the trademark of the Scott Sandlin coaching, right? Yeah. And he's getting some help, uh, both up front, which helps your defense, but also, yeah. uh, what's the next, an experience in the NCHC player, Derek Dashke, the transfer again from Miami, who I think has a little bit more to prove. And I think he will be a nice slot into, uh, to Scott Sandlin's system. And, and to me, again, you know, th- there's going to be a lot of talk about Isaac Howard, uh, rightfully yeah. so. Holy cow, is this kid uh, going to be something to watch? I think one of our uh, friends, Alex Micheletti, had mentioned he's probably yeah. the rookie of the year watch. I would tend to agree with that. Uh, yeah. There's a there's a couple of forwards these next couple of weeks that we'll be chatting yeah. that will have a chance to uh, get some votes into the into that mm-hmm. category and be ones to watch. But again, I, I think it's going to be a, a different mix, though, for Duluth. And why I think I have them at three is where they struggled last year a bit. Yeah, they weren't the best maybe – in terms of a Scott Sandlin type team defensively, they also struggled at times to score. I think both are going to be very much improved in front of their goaltending this year, which is a big reason I'm seeing a bigger jump from them this season. Um, and also close games, if I remember correctly, they were about even par with those close games within a goal. I know you probably have the, uh, the uh, Noah Grant advanced <laughs> analytics in front of you. Sure uh, do. That, that uh, hopefully I'm, I'm, I remember correctly on these or I'm at least close. So, so, um, so, so Nick, I don't want to say that you were bang on the money here, but uh, they were eight and eight in one goal games last season, exactly mm-hmm. 500, which ironically, Nick, their conference record, they were exactly 500, 10, 10 and four last season, 23, 16 and four overall for a 571 winning percentage. 43 games played for them. They had one exhibition win uh, to start the season against Wisconsin last year, a 4-2 victory for them. 24 conference games as always, 12 non-conference, four conference playoff games, and two NCAA tournament games. So they played 43 total games, a lot of hockey for this team last year. A lot of hockey, yes. Um, 
you talked about some of the trends of this team and this this team was a very middling team because they had some things that really made them great that made them successful and what scott sandlin's brand was but then there were other things where it was like hmm that doesn't generally match up with what what you would think so right uh, 10 7 and 2 at home 9 and 8 and 2 on the road and 3 and 1 in neutral sites like very par across the board uh, in terms mm -hmm. of where they were playing uh, overtime record reflects the similar things now this is a team as you talked about statistically um shots by period their shot differential one of the best in the nchc plus 169 nick they're scoring by period overall plus 16 a very low margin for how much mm -hmm. they outshoot their opponents right yep. plus 11 in period number one minus seven in scoring in period number two plus 11 period three and plus one in overtime so and they were a team that you know they averaged a very low goals for per game 2.6 goals for per game one of the lowest in the nchc but they gave up one of the lowest in the nchc as well 2.21 uh goals against per game uh and conference wise it's pretty much reflected so they were about 500 in almost every aspect 17 5 and 3 when scoring first 5 and 11 when they get, got scored on first like a pretty like a very natural stat line as far as like those sorts of things being out shot by an opponent or out shooting appointment opponent they were like 500 in both categories they were winning as many games as they were losing so it was really hard to get a beat on this team that if they were leading after one, they were doing all right. But if they weren't leading after period one or period two, all bets were off for this team, even mm -hmm. though they were likely out shooting their opponent by about four or five shots per game. It was a very weird season for them last year. They took up, they took one penalty more per game than their opponent, um, which is not Scott Sandlin esque, like, no, like a very undisciplined, uh, 17.7% on the power play, only 25 tallies for them last year, which is not terrible, but it's not great. Uh, very good penalty kill last year, though, 84.4%, yes. only allowing 24 tallies last season. So this was a team, um, my last little thing here, uh, their most number of wins came against Denver, Western, and St. Cloud, to which they all had three. Miami, Minnesota, Bemidji, and Alaska Fairbanks, they each had two, and single victories against the Fighting Hawks, the Tigers, the Omaha Mavericks, Michigan Tech, Wisconsin, and Providence. On the other side of that, uh, their most number of losses also came against Denver and North Dakota, uh, with three respectively. Western Michigan, Northern Michigan, and Mankato beat them twice. St. Cloud, Miami, Omaha, and Michigan with single regulation victories against this team and they had four contests that went to the shootout last year they beat colorado college they lost to miami and they split two shootout contests with the st cloud state huskies so mm -hmm. this was a team that finished fifth out of 59 in the pairwise a 631 winning percentage but you look at these stats and you're like how like like right. playoff time they turn it on but it's like you look at all these stats and you're like where did this team come from how did it's almost like a game how did scott sandlin do it again well actually we have an answer for you on that so uh you know essentially when they lost home ice right um from what we understand scott sandlin during the week leading up to the first round of the nchc playoffs literally went in the locker room and said this is now minimum expectations you're going to defend you're going to do what I need you to do, or guess what? I will find somebody else you will if you're going to yeah. do a train, right? And again, we, we've we seen Scott Sandlin teams, I don't want to say turn it on, but just like go up a level. But throughout the entire season, like you mentioned, oh, there was just such a weird just sort of, you know, where what is this team? We just really couldn't figure out because there were days they looked really good. There was days that they looked 
not so good. And it, there just were never was any consistency with the squad. And it could be even yeah. on the same weekend. I think that's what drove I drove me nuts. And I know it drove a lot of uh, Bulldogs fans nuts. So, you know, but as but as you mentioned, you know, he got the message across, ended up almost, you know, not allowing. Did they allow a single goal? in the NCHC frozen faceoff, who was like only a couple, I think Ryan Fanti had a couple of shutouts if I recall. Well, let's take a look here. I'm just pulling up their schedule. And you know, the, the interesting thing about this team is that, you know, they were a group again, when we talked about their consistency, right? They strung three wins together early in the season, their exhibition contest. They had a split during their icebreaker tournament in mid October. Uh, they get two wins, a loss, a win, a win, then a tie that ended up being a shootout win. Mm -hmm. A win and a loss. So, like, kind of just weird little scores here. A couple victories against uh, Fairbanks and then three straight losses before a victory in Denver, a blowout victory. Uh, yes. Two straight losses to Mankato before a win and a shootout loss against Miami. So, like, this team just didn't have a whole lot of consistency, and that's the way that their schedule trended similar to how St. Cloud State season went last year. So that's kind of where we had that discussion. Uh, when you were talking about the tournament, you are correct. Uh, five goals for, no goals against, a 2 to nothing mm -hmm. victory against Denver, 3 to nothing victory against oh, Western, Western Michigan. Mm -hmm. um, and even when they played St. Cloud, their goal margin uh, was 9-5 to five in favor of the Duluth Bulldogs. And that first game uh, in the NCHC playoffs against St. Cloud on the Herbrooks National Hockey Center was 5-2, to two, but easily could have been a much higher margin. So mm -hmm. this was a team that, um, I mean, you look at Scott Sandlin, we're going to talk about this freshman class that, again, it, it, Scott Sandlin, the way that he Impressive. recruits – it's just like, holy, where does he find this player mix? It's impressive. Hermantown. Um, That's yeah, a lot of it. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Um, but at the same time, one of the things that Scott Sandlin is so good at, and again, we'll get to this, but uh, he's so good at picking up players that, you know, maybe were tendered with another college team or maybe didn't have a season that they were looking for, but were still an NHL draft pick or something like that. And they're not afraid to scoop up these guys that were, you know, had some bump along the road or had kind of an interesting career trajectory and they bring them into the fold, they develop them and they end up becoming great assets for this team. And mm -hmm. like I said, it's almost like Scott Sandlin, you know, I, I, I don't want to call it a game, but it's like, it, it's almost like a laughing matter how he's able to take so many different mixes of players and so many different teams and either look at Hunter Shepard a couple of years ago where you rely on goaltending. You look at Scott Perunovich and the offense from the back end. Then you look at last year's team who struggled in the power play on special teams but was able to stay in one goal hockey games. Like each of his mm -hmm. teams has a different mix and it's like he sits there every year with a brand new puzzle in front of him and just closes his eyes and just puts the puzzle together by feel and by the end of the season he goes check out this picture I just made you know what I mean and I, yeah I, I don't know how he does it but there's a reason he's been there for 23 years and a big reason why um, there's been rumors of him to the National Hockey League for now the better part of the last three off seasons is part of it is he can take a mix and make them play the game that he wants them to play one and to play a style of game that's going to make that particular set of players successful and yeah. execute it and the one thing that I don't think it's talked about enough is, you know, Wisconsin is a demanding coach. Don't get me wrong. He, he demands a lot from his players, but he's able to connect with them. He's able to, to teach and develop. Like I said, that's yeah. so underrated. I think out there for him now, granted, I don't know if it's as underrated now, again, when he's getting these looks potentially to make the jump to the national hockey league, no, granted, 
hasn't done that as of yet. Um, be curious to see if things change so, in the next couple of years. But so that was actually one of our listener questions. And as you had mentioned, um, you know, for example, jumping the gun a little bit here, defenseman Connor Kelly, who was a sophomore last year, he's headed to Providence this year, which was unexpected from Scott Sandlin's group. And mm -hmm. he said it was unexpected for us, but he said, you know what? We want our players, whether they play for us or they move on, we want them to be happy and enjoy life and enjoy playing the game of hockey. You know, mm -hmm. and, it, and it takes a lot to be able to say that when you lose somebody who you were high on. And Johnny Mack asked the question, Plain and simple, 23 years with this organization, is Scott Sandlin a lifer at UMD or does he make the jump at some point? Well, it balls in his court, right? I think that, you know, with the rumors that we have circulating, you kind of wonder if, and I, and I get the sense too, that it's teams and organizations reaching out to him and, you know, not necessarily him reaching out to them, um, you know, mm -hmm. to see what's going on. Um, it's a curious case. And, yeah. and I say that it's curious because, you know, he's won three national titles. He's built a one hell of a program. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Like. Right. <laughs> and you kind of wonder, too, um, you know, how much. And I think this gets kind of lost in the scheme of things with hockey is you kind of wonder what, you know, with this family. They're deeply rooted in the Duluth community. You know, to, you know, going anywhere would have to, you know, they would eventually probably would want to move with him. So there's a lot that goes into it. Right. And I think a lot of where this might change is, you know, with now Ryan, his, you know, I think his youngest son, if I recall, um, too much and, math for me that I don't have on my board. Right. So. <laughs> but I think I, I believe he is that he's the youngest son of Scott and, you know, moving on from Minnesota state, um, you kind of wonder, does that change a little bit? Is that, you know, being that close and, you know, being able to watch him grow and to get a chance to maybe play professional hockey now that with that, you know, sort of journey complete, you, you kind of wonder if there is a, an itch for Scott Sandlin to coach in the National Hockey League or to Johnny Mack's question, is he a lifer? I think after 23 years, it kind of seems like he might just kind of stick around. Um, but you also kind of wonder what even he, in his mind, it's been a long time. What's the succession plan? Not just for him, but also for the um, University of Minnesota Duluth. And you got to wonder at one point, when does that plan kick in? But I kind of feel like he's going to be there for a little bit while longer. You know, it's kind of funny too. If you ever get a chance to check out, of course, they don't have the bio for the new assistant coach in, but the bios for the Duluth Bulldogs, they're like literally novels for these coaches, yes. especially for Scott Sale. They're so much fun to read. I mean, they're literally, they have a lot of like personal flair to him and stuff. So it's kind of fun to read about his accomplishments. And there are many, let me tell you, yes, of course, are. I, a lot of people don't know this now that they know that he was a bulldog, but he played of course in the mid eighties as a defenseman for the university of North Dakota. So he actually, mm -hmm. uh, came from, you know, that, that, uh, America's wasteland as Nick likes to call it. Uh, <laughs> but, be, but beyond that, you know, the other thing too, with Scott Sandlin one, like you mentioned, he has a very successful program. He's been there. He's done that, you know, until he stops having that success, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. At the same right. time, he's also 58 years old. You know, at some point it might just be, you know, maybe I want to kick at the NHL or maybe I want to hand off to somebody else who I think is fit. And I just want to spend the time with my family after coaching for, two and a half decades of hockey at the right. division one level. So um, a very demanding job. Let's, let's, you know, that's yeah, the other thing. Yeah. very much so. And definitely has handled things with class. And he's a guy that, you know, as you and I both know, a very fun guy to talk to just like a very, 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 fun. very straight shooter. And when they went into that, playoff series against St. Cloud they were like on this bigger ice sheet and he was right everything 
in the season series, which was essentially a split, everything had trended to St. Cloud being the better team on their home ice. And he was like, we're going to have a heck of a time coming into this building and getting the job done. And they definitely overexceeded. And then all of a sudden, you know, someone walked into the Duluth locker room and said, oh, it's playoff time. Anyone want to flip that switch? And someone did. And they they didn't look back. But uh, yes. beyond that, uh, the team from last year, six graduate players last year. So a uh, good veteran late in core there, seven seniors to boot, so, uh, four juniors, six sophomores, and five freshmen for a crew of 28 last season. Uh, a couple of guys that stood out on last year's team, pretty healthy mix of scoring, a little bit more on the upperclassmen side, but a pretty good mix for this team. Uh, Kobe Roth, who was a graduate player last year, uh, 42 games played for him, had 29 points, 16 goals, 13 assists. 0.69 points per game, which I believe is the best points per game clip on the team. So that kind of tells you a little bit about where their scoring was at, too. They were not mm-hmm. a team that had one or two guys that they said, oh, this is these are our top line guys and everybody else follow the lead. No, it was a truly all guys of the same mix, same pedigree, three lines, four lines deep. And they're just going to continue to roll. And whatever line is out there, they have the same natural scoring touch almost three mm-hmm. power play goals for him a dash three rating blake beyond who, who was a sophomore last season uh also played in, in the maximum number of games had one less point with 28 one more goal with 17 um three power play goals and a plus 15 rating for him kobe bender who was a senior last season he played in the same number of games 26 points for him Three power play goals once again. Uh, Quinn Olson, who was a junior last season, he makes a return, played in every single game, had 25 points, one power play goal plus five. And then Noah Cates, who was a senior last year, had 24 points and five power play goals, a pretty good little specialist on those special teams advantages and a plus four rating. On the back end, pretty much pinpointed two defensemen here, Nick. Wyatt Kaiser, of course, who uh, was a sophomore last season. 34 games for him, if you're wondering why he didn't play in all of them. Well, because, you know, he had something called some international play for Team USA. Uh, 19 points for him. Um, was Dash 2 last year, though? Kind of interesting. Uh, and Owen Galanton, who was a freshman last year, who was a great addition to this roster, played in every single game. 17 points for him. Single power play goal and a plus 11 rating on the back end for the freshman. So mm-hmm. uh, pretty good for him. So those are the outskaters. We'll start with those. Nick, this is a team like we talked about, scoring by committee. A couple of these guys are leaving. A couple of these guys are staying. This just has the Scott Sandlin mark written all over it, doesn't it? It does, and it's you know for what we know, and we'll obviously touch on this a little bit a little bit later. But this is not going to be the same case this year, at least to me, it doesn't with uh, some of the new guys coming in. But you know, and the one thing about this group of of guys you talk about, also really good people off the ice too. Um, yeah, really, really good people, but. You know, like, and again, it's it's been about committee. It's always been that day with Scott Sandlin. And the, the one thing that I would say about this group is, you know, maybe not the flashiest. Um, you know, yeah, a lot of these yeah. goals that, that have come through are, they're kind of just sandpaper, work hard, rebound type goals. That, and not a lot of maybe flash and skill with them, but just hard work and determination. And, and again, that's what the biggest thing that Scott Sandlin expects out of his players is to have that constant effort every time you're on the ice. And um, if you want to characterize that group, at least that was there. Um, again, maybe explains that maybe the execution here and there wasn't as great. And uh, But things are about to change this season. We'll get into that here just a little bit. You know, and they were a team that, again, they were comfortable being in a two-to-one hockey game and letting the goaltenders do the work. And, Nick, uh, this goaltender was kind of good last year. Um, kind of. Ryan Fanti, uh, who was a junior, who has since signed with the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, Nick, 2,201 minutes uh, for him last season. 
a 1.83 goals against average and a 9.29 save percentage over 37 nuts. games played, 2012 and four. The fact that he lost 12 games at some point in there and then the four ties is beyond me. Um, right. He was just, uh, or beyond me, as one would say. Uh, it just, un- <laughs> just un- that was bad, wasn't it? This, I mean, what wasn't bad, though, was the way that this kid played. And, of course, I got a chance a couple of years ago before he made the jump to watch him play for the Minnesota Wilderness in the NHL and call a couple of those games. And even then, I mean, he just uh, so so poised and really came into his own last season, obviously. And you started to see the, the byproduct of that teaching at the collegiate level. I mean, just I mean, this was a guy a 46 save shutout performance against uh, the St. Cloud State Huskies, Nick. Um mm-hmm. You know, I mean, what more can you say about this kid? My my actual question here beyond that is he signs with the Oilers who goaltending depth is kind of meh. Non-existent. Is he, <laughs> is he someone, do you think at some point, you think he gets a shot? I do. Um, I would think that, you know, mind you, Edmonton going out um, and getting Jack Campbell, um, yeah. you know, to really try to push them over the edge. Edmonton trying to give uh, Connor McDavid a taste of a Stanley Cup final. Um, you would have to think that, at least in my book, if there was ever an injury to either one of those two starting net menders, that he is 100% the first call-up that will go to the Oilers. And, uh, you know, it's it's always interesting with goaltenders, Noah, because they are the the longest in terms of developing to their full potential. Um, Ryan Fanny, to me, is a gamer. Um, mm-hmm. He's a guy that you, you want to talk about. There's any one player that kind of kept UMD in those close games or really just try to help them kind of you know, just survive some of those nights, you know, when they were hemmed in and just couldn't get anything on offense, he was their rock. He really was the, t- you know, the glue to this entire team um, really gave them chances to win most games, even when they weren't the best in front of them. He's going to carry that through Edmonton. And a big reason why, I mean, we already mentioned it before, that's two back-to-back shutouts and the NCHC frozen face off there in St. Paul against two pretty darn good teams, including uh, the eventual national championship uh, uh, winner there with Denver. So, mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, yeah, 100%. Uh, would love to see him get a shot, um, and I do think he will get a shot next season for sure with Edmonton. Yeah, pretty much ran out of luck with just one single bounce at the end of the NCAA. So that was frozen four. But, I mean, Duluth, I mean, what a season they had last year. So, mm-hmm. like we mentioned, foregoing his senior season, signing with the Edmonton franchise, uh, for Ben Almquist um, is headed to Anchorage. Defenseman Connor Kelly is headed to Providence. Uh, Hunter Lelig, who will be a graduate this upcoming season, he's headed to Bowling Green, as well as graduates Jarrett Lee to St. Thomas and Jake mm-hmm. Rosenbaum to AIC. As far as graduating players here, Noah Cates, who is a senior, signed with the Flyers in Philadelphia. Um, again, we'll see how, how long it takes. A few NCHC players in Philadelphia right now, just a few. Yeah, we'll see how long it takes for Chuck Fletcher to mess that one up. I, not uh, long. Not <laughs> Noah Cates. Noah Cates will be just fine. It's just the question yes. is, where will he be sent Um for a lot of stuff uh with a first round pick no kidding uh, <laughs> forward kobe bender uh signed with the new york islanders organization kobe roth uh tryout right now with the texas stars and the ahl uh kind of similar to jordan kawaguchi um a couple yep. years ago defenseman louis rail signed with the wheeling nailers in the echl matt anderson on the back end signed with south carolina also in the ec yep. yeah brady anderson um graduating Casey Gilling, who was a graduate player last year, surprised he didn't get picked up by anybody or want to play. I couldn't find any information on him. So maybe he's just headed off to, to greener Green pastures. pastures. Yeah, oh my gosh. So. Jinx. Um, yeah, wow. You talk about a, uh, a player too. I was going to mention Casey Gilling that I think that they really wanted more out of last year. He was a guy that I really think a lot of eyes were on before the season that he could kind of add a little bit more offense. Didn't quite pan out uh, with UMD. So tough and, 
could be possibly a reason that uh, we haven't had any information on any signings with him. Yeah, kind of an interesting career, though. In fact, I want to take a look. Um, ben Pat, the the fifth-year redshirt goaltender, was the other one that uh, ended up uh, moving on with his graduate study or graduation, I should say. Um, it was kind of an interesting, interesting year for him, and I want to pull up the stats page because I had it up in front of me, and now I have to search for it again here. And uh, by the way, for those who are wondering, some of this information, a lot of where I get it, of course, from the team websites as well, but College Hockey news has a lot of this information uh together in one spot as well too so for those who are kind of wondering um where i'm finding some of this information that would be uh some of the pieces there i'm trying to pull up the stats page and i'm doing my best i promise i really am um, well, while you do that noah i think you know in casey gilling you know remind me again from miami red hawks uh was part of what so oh, geez what was that big line they had like three years ago it was oh, casey yeah. gilling uh fast line in fact it was mm-hmm. actually uh, but one of Miami's better forward trios that they had over the past four or five seasons. I'm trying to remember a few others that were on that line. And it was actually fun to watch because they were fast. They had skill. Um, they drove possession. So, um, you know, and I think that's kind of what UMD fans were hoping to see. But again, Scott Sandlin, not really the up, well, not really pushing north type forecheck with them, at uh, least with yeah. speed. Yeah, you're so, talking about uh, Gordy Green was the other yes, one that was on that yeah. line. That was really good too. I can't remember who the last one was, um, but nonetheless, I mean, they were they were a team that, uh, and this is coming from the year that you and I were there in 2019-20. I don't know if they were um, juniors that year. Gordy Green was a senior, so he was a um, senior, yeah, yeah. But he was on that line, like you like you mentioned. And last year, Casey Gilling actually was the next forward on this list at 22 points. So I mean, not a terrible campaign. Over half a point per game. Uh, for him, eight uh, percent shooting percentage was dash eight on the season. Couple power play markers to his credit. Um, like you mentioned, I, I don't know if they expected more, but at the same time, you know, I think it's a lot of pressure knowing that you know you're coming from an organization like Miami who hasn't had the greatest time, and then you're expected to integrate very quickly. Not that Casey isn't a good hockey player, but integrate right. in a new style of play, a more right. fast, fast paced, more. Um, successful style of play and a more successful organization, um, you know, and that's a tough adjustment, obviously changing schools, mm-hmm. those sort of things. And then a one year sample size, obviously uh, it's kind of make or break for him. So, you know, kind of, kind of the middle of the pack player in the end, but uh, you know, he was a guy that uh, haven't heard any information from him in terms of players coming in uh goaltender, Matthew, I think it's Thiessen, um, a graduate transfer from the main black bears. He comes in and then of course, Derek dash. like you mentioned, the graduate defenseman from Miami uh, players staying for their graduate year. Uh, there are two of them forward Jesse jocks for his graduate season. And then forward Tanner Latteru, the centerman. Both uh, very yeah, good. He was plus 18 last season, yeah. had the best plus minus on the team. And he was a forward. So a guy that, you know, Plays defensively very, very well. Tanner Latteru, yes, defensively well too, but also just, you know, really good in terms of the forecheck. And what I mean by that is getting, you know, either the first touch, but more so we're just really making life really, really tough for the opposing defenseman. He is in there. He knows how to funnel pucks to those areas that you want as a forechecker. He's just really, really good at doing that. And again, of course, that's when the Scott Sandlin part of it kicks in and the game plan to have F2, F3, you know, to be able to move the puck in the way you want to do it and just really make it tough to break out and, you know, transition the puck if you're in your own end. So really, really good. Again, plus 18 shouldn't surprise anybody. Just 
don't lift his stick if he's leaning one direction and if he's on the Herbrooks National <laughs> Center ice. Uh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't be you went there. Uh, anyway, um, just kidding. <laughs> we love you, Duluth fans. We really do. And it's been a crazy rivalry the past couple of years with the Duluth Bulldogs and St. Louis yes. Huskies. I mean, this is a budding rivalry. Not, you know, and I think it makes it all the more sweeter with the Brett Larson, Scott Sandlin connection too. It does. And it, and it has been a very exciting thing. And I think, um, and we're going to get to some fan questions too, but as far as fan bases in the NCHC, it's easy to become bitter very quickly but really there's been a lot of push and a lot of pull in the end the bulldogs probably had the slightly better edge at least last year and got the last mm-hmm. laugh but they the did. past couple of years it's been pound for pound it was what seven games um you know saying cloud i think one yeah. of four of them yeah la- the previous season and then last yep. year you know they had a lot of matchups too so a very exciting um series and of course they are the team the teams that always meet each other at the end of the season too and for whatever reason they seem inexplicably linked in the standings as well too so Mm -hmm. this season let's look forward to it let's talk about that freshman group of 10 that are coming in this year uh three graduate players on this current roster three seniors five juniors five sophomores and 10 freshmen that is about as even of a the plate spread as you can possibly get there nick uh 26 26 players on this squad, a little bit of a shorter roster right now, so to speak. Uh, 15 forwards, eight defensemen, three netminders, six of those forwards being freshmen, three defensemen are in their first year, and then one freshman netminder that I happen to have had the privilege of watching again last season that had a very good year last year. So, uh, well, let's start on the forward side, shall we? Um mm-hmm. This is some kid named Isaac Howard, who's a 2004 Hudson, Wisconsin native, 5'10", 181, 60 games played uh, for the U.S. under-18 team, was plus 31 last season, 82 points for him, 33 Oof. tucks, 49 apples, and a 2022 first-rounder at number 31 by the Tampa Bay Lightning. Nick, uh, the listener question, of course, uh, is in here somewhere. Like you had mentioned, Alex Micheletti, will Isaac Howard be NCHC Rookie of the Year? Um, he definitely is going to be up there. No question about it. Um, again, when you're a first round pick, you know, and, you know, I'm probably going to pick on a few people, not by name when I say this, but yeah, it's a projection. No question yeah. about it, but it's a projection based not only on analytics, but also, you know, how he plays the game, right? Um, wicked release plays yeah. the game at a fast pace. Um, and not only that, but the hockey IQ with them, I think is really what's going to set him apart. Um, when you can both set up and get your apples, but also be able to pot the puck when you get opportunities. Um, he's a well-rounded player. Um, and again, mm-hmm. was a plus 31 plus 33, you said, um, which means you're also, dare I say defensively responsible. So he's a 200 foot player. Um, Sky Stanley, again, known for developing players. He will continue to develop, you know, a more well-rounded style for his game. Um, and he's going to give him a little bit more, um, teeth on the on the on the razor blade uh this is going to have a little bit more offensive punch to a Duluth squad that you know dare i say didn't have that one guy maybe or maybe kobe bender was last year i know for st Louis statesman he was a killer for the huskies uh this guy is going to be a thorn in a lot of guys sides here for the nchc he's going to be fun to watch uh especially for duluth fan and even for pure hockey fans like you and i gonna be fun to see his development for sure yeah, we had another listener at Deese 204 who also asked, what kind of impact can we expect from guys like him and Ben Steves coming in? Ben Steves, yes. the next forward. Kind of interesting. Uh, Isaac Howard wearing number three. Ben Steves wearing number six on the forward side here. So some lower numbers on the forward end. Uh, the Bedford, New Hampshire native, five foot nine, 168, a left-handed 2002 shot. And you say, wait a minute. 
That's a little bit undersized. Well, let me tell you something, good listeners of the Huskies Warming House podcast. 77 points and 70 games played with Sioux City in the USHL for a plus 31 rating as well. 45 tucks last year Oof. for Ben Steves. So he may be a little bit undersized, but I don't know. People must just be missing him or something because he sure knows how to put the puck in the net. Yeah, and you kind of wonder too, and this is going to be where, you know, there there might be something to the size adjusting to NCHC, which can be, you know, depending on who you play. Again, let's talk about Omaha and some other hard-hitting physical-type teams. You know, does his game um, allow him to create space? Does his game allow him to have those same opportunities he was having in the USHL? Um, that's going to be one to watch. Now, again, there's some natural skill set there. Again, maybe slightly undersized, so there will be something to watch there. But the skill set's there, and I guarantee you if he's five foot nine probably pretty quick on his feet too. So uh, we'll be fun to watch. And uh, for Scott Salins, uh, you know, again, game plan is, I guess, how does he defend? I think that's the other big thing too, is it sounds like again, plus 31 is a lot of points there, but can you play a full 200 foot game? Again, a size a little bit different, how you approach it, but again, yeah. the skill sets there. And again, Sandler will definitely get him developed for sure. And I think Huskies fans will get a good look. A guy like that who's a water bug who has a lot of speed, how do they react to playing on an Olympic sheet, for example? Yeah. You know, and how do they defend? Because it definitely changes things compared to Amsloil Arena, which, of course, like many other college buildings, is the regular NHL size sheet. I. Uh, Cole Spicer, the late edition, the Grand Forks, North Dakota kid, 5'10", 176, the left-handed 2004. Uh, it was a 2022 fourth-round selection, 117th overall by the Boston Bruins this past draft. And he was a guy that decoded from the University of North Dakota, 58 games oh played boy. with the U.S. under-18 team last year, 39 points for him and a plus-24 rating. Uh, Scott Sandlin has not been shy, and we'll get to this a little bit later, to tap into that North Dakota pipeline or that Midwest pipeline a little bit grabbing a grand forks kid and cole spicer this was a guy that i think mm -hmm. a lot of teams in the nchc slowly had on their radar as a guy that could be a good little depth forward that had a high ceiling and a chance to develop uh gonna wear number 11 for the bulldogs here you think we'll see a lot of them probably uh, again he fits the mold you know again mm -hmm. if you you don't have to be with scott sandalins uh with his style and the way that his game is, you know, as long as you skate, work hard. And, and, and again, you know, just make the right smart hockey decisions. You can succeed in Scott Sandlin's system and you can develop. So he may be not the most naturally skilled player, uh, but trust me, um, Scott Sandlin, if there's one thing about his squads, he gets a lot out of his role players in those bottom six. So he's the perfect mesh for this system. And, you know, as long as, again, you, you can kind of assimilate and, and tack onto that style quick, I think we will see a lot of them. So the one that's going to be interesting, wearing number 12 next season, Jack Smith, the St. Cloud, Minnesota product, 5'11", 183, a left-handed 2002 shot. Uh, 16 points in the last 57 games over the past two seasons for Sioux Falls in the USHL. He's a 2024th round selection at 102 by Montreal. Has had a lingering shoulder injury both from 2020 and also last year uh, moving into the training camp for the Canadians this season that only limited limited him to 10 games last season in the USHL. So he's kind of a question mark, I think, for us I would think right so, now. Yeah. So we'll have to see uh, how that kind of rehabs and if he can get back to the speed. I did have a teammate a couple of years ago that played for the Fargo Force in the USHL, and uh, he ended up dislocating each shoulder three times on each side and just was never the same player just because of the weight no. that he couldn't bear. So you hope that he's able to kind of rehab that and, and get back to form here because good hockey player just has had a tough couple of seasons as far, especially last year, just with the injury bug, it seems like. So uh, wishing him the best of luck. Two more forwards here moving on here. Uh, Nick, how about this? Kyle Bettens, the Winnipeg Manitoba native, a 2001 
had 36 points with the Youngstown Phantoms in 56 contests last year, 29 points with Omaha in the USHL the year before. Is this a big body? Uh, how about six foot three, uh, 216 pound right shot? Forward. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's interesting too because Scott Sandlin in the past has had some trees, uh, especially in the back end and also, uh, you know, in his depth position. So you talk about, you know, how Scott likes to use those sizable players, especially in those role type categories. Uh, this is exactly right up Scott Sandlin's mojo. So I would expect he would be an impact player just because, again, uh, for size, you know, hey, great havoc in front of the net. There's one thing we've noticed. Uh, with Scott Sandlin's, you know, tenure of play is he, again, you, if you can do what I ask, which is, you know, be, be just a pest in front of the net um, and just maybe have some quick reactions, um, you'll be successful. And I can imagine he's going to give a lot of defensive pairings fits if that's where they park him and guarantee you Scott Sandlin will park him in front of the crease. Yeah. It seems like a lot of tenacity and good production for a bigger guy too. Sometimes you don't see that production, but you know, it's pretty good uh, points per game clip for him last season. Final forward here, number 37, Luke Johnson, also coming from St. Cloud, the five foot 10, 168 pound left-handed 2001 played with the Lincoln stars in the USHL last season, 64 contest for him, 34 points for him, pretty decently productive little season for him. Uh, good little addition, I think, on the forward side as well, too. Uh, back end, the other Lincoln star is Joey Pierce from Ely, Minnesota, which uh, I tell you what, if you've ever gotten a chance to go up to Ely, I would love to get a cabin up there. Just a nice little place to kick back and relax. Yes. Side note, um, 15 points for him in 64 contests on the back end. Uh, six foot zero, 207 pounds, uh, right hand in mm -hmm. 2002. So a big body on the back end. Defensively, the other two, uh, Riley Bonardchuk, uh, 42 games played for him with the Okotoks Oilers and the AJ was the assistant captain last year, had 34 points, um, is actually from that same town in Alberta. Um, the 2001 is six foot three, 194, a left-handed shot. So yep. some big boys coming in yep. here on the back end. And it's kind of funny. I mean, you look at Aiden Dubinsky, who's also six foot one eighty five, right handed two thousand and four. So some young guys coming in in this freshman group. Uh, he's from Highland Park, Illinois. He played in sixty four contests with Tri City last year in the USHL. Only had fifteen points in the back end, and I say only very facetiously, but was also plus twenty last season for Tri City. So good on the back end for him too. So uh, final forward and three defensemen there. What do you like from this group besides the fact that? Uh, you of all people, Nick, I hate to poke fun at you, but we'd definitely be looking up at them just a little bit. Uh, quite a bit, actually. But uh, <laughs> uh, again, what I like about this is this is perfect for the style that Scott Sandlin plays. I remember a couple years ago when it was like Nick Wolf on the back end, you know, some like six foot three, six foot fours. And it was really, really tough to penetrate the middle of the ice against the Bulldogs. You really had to take advantage of perimeter shots and, you know, kind of dare I say almost fly by the center of the race, because if he did, you were getting, you know, you were getting cross-checked. You I mean, there was a guy on you and this is going to go back to a little bit more of a heavier style for Scott Sandler in the back end, which again is going to make life very, very difficult for say, what was the team a couple weeks ago that we said was maybe undersized a little bit. Was that, um, was that, no, that wasn't Omaha uh, me out here. It could be Colorado college. Probably. Miami. Um, oh no, it was a Western Michigan. Oh yeah, last week. Yeah, that well, would be well, last week. There, that man. was last week. <laughs> Tell us, everything just kind of blends together now. It's insane. Yeah, all um, you NCHC teams are the same. Darn it! I know, right? <laughs> so you know, I really do feel strongly about just the makeup, right? And again, you have some high-profile players that are joining too. That's going to add some more offensive punch 
a little bit more uh, back to the nitty gritty on the defensive end. Um, Zach Sandy, too. I know that you <laughs> had a chance to watch him. And in fact, uh, dare I say, you have a pretty good scouting report on him. The <laughs> one thing that UMD does is they seem to find the goaltender that will be, you know, essentially you know, the one that's going to get them over the hump, you know, whether it's going back, like you said, uh, you know, Derek Shepard, not Derek Shepard, Matt, uh, was it Hunter Shepard, Hunter Shepard, my God, my memory is yeah. completely gone. And what, I know what, who, Caleb is going to, you know, who, who am I? I don't know. Who are, who are you? Max of each. I don't even offici- know. Deferring to the officiating once again. Here, I but. know. So Hunter Shepard, Zach Stayskull, Ryan Fanti, you name it. They, they've, been able to just establish a pipeline of just really good goaltenders and Sandy uh, for the listeners. Uh, Cause again, you saw him uh, a lot more than I did. Who are, what are they going to expect out of this freshman goaltender? Is he going to compete with the job for with state skull? Or do you think uh, maybe he's the one that steals the net? You know, it's kind of funny. And uh, I suppose we should tell the story once again here. So of course the six foot one, 176 pound, 2002 from Fargo, North Dakota, had 29 games played with, of course, the Minot Minotauros, who I broadcast for again for this upcoming season as well. Had a 2-4-2 goals against average and a 9-3-2 save percentage on a Taros team that was very poor. In fact, missed the playoffs for the first time in program history since their inception in the early 2010s. 14-11-1 uh, and one for him had the best save percentage in the NHL um, all season long. Missed about three and a half months with a concussion, though, so that was kind of difficult in terms of limiting his play a little bit, but came back and was lights out as always. Um, and kind of, kind of similar to, you know, your question, um, uh, one of our listeners asked who stars in that with Fanti gone stay skull or Thiessen. And honestly, Zach Sandy is definitely going to get a shot here. Just the way that he's composed. The only knock on him is as far as goalies go, he's maybe about two or three inches shorter than what you would look for your prototypical college goalie. Um, but he challenges shooters, but he's a very calm goaltender, very quiet feet. Um, doesn't over-exaggerate his plays, um, keeps his hands close to his body and moves laterally very well. He's very anticipatory in his movements uh, and just everything he does, a very quiet goaltender. You almost don't even notice him until the puck hits him in the chest. Um, the story that I was about to tell that if, we've told it, I think, a couple of times on this show, uh, but kind of uh, towards the early part of the season when Zach Sandy was starting to kind of gain some traction and, and really uh, show his strengths uh, in the NHL level. I had actually kind of had a slight conversation with uh, um, Brett Larson, of course, who is the head coach at St. Cloud state and kind of said, you know, there's a goaltender here in Minot that you maybe just kind of might want to keep an eye on here. Cause they were looking for goaltending depth at the time. Uh, Brett Larson didn't pull the trigger, but a couple weeks later with North Dakota and Minnesota, both looking at this kid, it was the Duluth Bulldogs and Scott Sandlin that pulled the trigger. So I don't know if they ever had that conversation, but I, uh, I, Huskies fans could end up ruining this one because uh, he is a goaltender that if he's able to play against his quote unquote size deficit, which really isn't that much of a deficit, I think he's someone that could challenge right out of the gate for the starting goaltender position if he's able to stay healthy and able to play the way that I've seen him play because, you know, not to toot his horn too much, but the Bulldogs, if they get what we saw at the NHL level, they're going to have another primo goaltender. And once again, Scott Sandlin potentially has done it again. Yeah, hundred percent. And, uh, you know, it's kind of fun to see, you know, just that story that, that just that, that arms race, especially for mm-hmm. goaltenders in the NCHC. And, you know, I mean, geez, I mean, can you imagine for Zach again, pulling the numbers that you've mentioned on a team that in front of him, wasn't particularly that great. Yep. Those are impressive numbers. Number one, uh, number two, when Minnesota and North Dakota start calling your name, um, dare I say that was, you know, how did, 
I, I guess that's the bigger question. How did Scott Sandlin swoop in? And was it, you know, the, you know, the nine o'clock of the ninth green trick Did he, you know, tell yeah. Brad Barry or, you know, Bob Moscow to meet me there while, and then, you know, as they were there waiting for him, they went and talked to him and got him to sign. Um, you know, he just, again, there's, there's an attraction and a pipeline that he's built with goaltending. And you almost kind of wonder too, for goaltenders who are looking at division one colleges, you know, is there a reputation for goaltending development? I would think there probably is now with the history they've had over the recent years. So let's talk about uh, with Zach Sandy too, the way that he struggled. The only reason I have these stats is because it was reflection where the last game of the season for the Taros against the Bismarck Bobcats decided the final team to make the playoffs and play the St. Cloud Norseman in the first round last year. Um, since January 1st of 2022 to finish the season, Minot was 9-16-2 with a dash 29 goal differential. Oof. And Bismarck on the flip side clawed their way back. They were 19-8-2 since that time and a plus 30 goal differential. So a complete flip-flop of the first half. And Zach Sandy was in net and still posted a 9-32 save percentage on a team that was inherently flawed in front of him, uh, still able to have that success. So I kind of tells you what he might be able to do should he have a really good team in front of him. And we believe the Bulldogs might be one of those teams next season. Have a pretty favorable schedule coming up uh, this year as well, too. October 1st and 2nd, uh, they're at home against Arizona State. Uh, they have a week off right away after that before coming back uh, to travel to Mankato to uh, Alex Micheletti's Mavericks. Uh, October 21st and 22nd, they are at home against the Wisconsin Badgers and then at home the following weekend against Cornell. Far, are starting their uh, NCHC season, I should say. Uh, Colorado College, uh, they're headed there November 4th and 5th. November 11th and 12th, they're at home against Omaha, traveling to Western Michigan the weekend after at home against Colorado College the first weekend of December, and then at home to finish the first half of the season against the Pios. So actually a pretty good uh, little first half for them to kind of ease on into that schedule. Uh, second half, December 31st, only a single game after the Christmas break against St. Thomas at home. Uh, January 6th and 7th, a home and home, first traveling and then at home against Bemidji State. January 13th and 14th, they travel to Omaha and then the following weekend in Grand Forks against North Dakota before coming uh, back home to face the St. Cloud State Huskies to finish the month of January. February starts off with a home series against the Western Michigan Broncos before traveling to Denver at home against Miami and then rounding out as they usually do against St. Cloud. This one will be at the Herbrooks National Hockey Center. So, Nick, mm -hmm. fan questions. We've got a lot of them uh, this yes. week. So this is exciting to talk about here. Um, first of all, Craig Hendricks, very simple question. Is Duluth really going to be that good this year? I think so. I think so. Too. I really do. Um, I, I, I think that a lot of the challenges that they had last year um, are going to be a thing of the past. Um, there's a little bit, if there's one concern, if you're a, if you're a Bulldog fan, because maybe the youth and the amount of youth that you have, does it take them a while to figure it out? Um, injury is always a concern with any team, but um, I think with the the right mix that Scott Sandler's bringing in, and again, some primo offensive talent, which is something you don't normally associate UMD having. Um, that could be really the X factor with the squad. You know they're going to be tough to play um, defensively. They're going to have a good penalty kill. And dare I say, with some of these you know, new additions up front, maybe improve their power play. They're probably going to improve their scoring. This could be, dare I say, a, a national sleeper team. Yeah. Right out of the gate, I mean, honestly, I do think they're going to be that good. Um, again, the big question mark is with some of the young talent and the amount of young talent, uh, do they um, assimilate to NCAA Division One hockey soon? Um, do they maybe struggle out of the gate a little bit? But as we saw last year, even with a 
dare I say, a mediocre regular season record where they almost, speaking of Wisconsin, uh, you know, kind of Wisconsin ruled almost themselves out of the NCAA playoffs. I don't think it's going to be that close this year. But again, Scott Sandler's teams in years past have shown that they can take it up a couple of notches in the playoffs. And this team's certainly looking like they make up of a deep playoff team yet again. Yeah, Christy Rollwagen, who of course is uh, the mother of Tyler Rollwagen, who's getting ready to play for the Omaha Mavericks in his freshman season. She asked the question, Nick, uh, who let the dogs out? Um, and to answer that, Nick, I have I have no idea, but we can put them back in the kennel. That'd be nice. Um, <laughs> beyond that, uh, Johnny Mac, uh, a couple of other questions that he had for us. Um, how can their fans be so aggrieved all the time? Must be exhausting. Uh well, I think there's another maroon and gold team that likes to do that too. So maybe it's just color pipeline. I don't know, Noah, but um, I don't. I don't really know that they're aggrieved because every really Duluth fan, either. yeah, that I talk, they talk to, they're like, oh, well, we kind of cared about the game, but also look at look at all of our national championships. So like, good luck, you know. Like, yeah. Yeah. The other thing is if they're only following Max Beach, then maybe I get it. But uh, yeah. that's <laughs> maybe fair. that's maybe that's where uh, the the uh, the attitude comes from is when you have the super fan that we as Max Beach. Granted, we all, all love to Max Beach over there, the, the Bulldog <laughs> super fan. But um, I don't get that sense necessarily from the Bulldog fan base. It's not like you know, you're playing North Dakota for, you know, for God's sakes. And yeah. it's and again, the rivalry, especially as St. Cloud. Uh, hockey, I think there's there's a it's a it's a competitive but friendly rivalry, um, I think between the two clubs and uh, let's put it this way, dare I say they probably might have the upper hand in this matchup here coming this year. Dare I say? Yeah, it definitely uh, might be an interesting one here. Um, kind of on a similar vein, and Max Beach actually said this was a fair question, and you and I both experienced this when we went to travel up there. Tinner Heath, who of course is really good at trivia, when we had it, why are their hotels so expensive up in Duluth? Um, uh, well, <laughs> so for the last time I checked, um, you're kind of by the lake. So everybody yeah. wants a location. Oh, wait, it's either on the hill or on the lake. Last yeah. time I checked. Yeah. Yeah. Not very fun. Yeah. Especially in the winter time. You don't pay as much for the uphill parking in the winter though. Cause when you come back, your car might not be there. Um, no, it the, definitely is not there. <laughs> Speaking of things that might be there, Johnny Mac also want to know, are they and teams near them in the standings safely in the tournament next season? Meaning the NCAAs. Um, I would think right now. Yes. I think UMD is a safer bet to make the NCAA tournament. Again, uh, we talked about how this team looks on paper and how I think it's trending in that direction. And I think, Again, with some of the returning players, a lot of lessons learned, especially if you can carry some of that momentum that you had uh, from the uh, from the NCAA playoffs slash the NCHC. I think you're riding high a little bit. And again, just trying to find a little bit more consistency in the regular season. I do think they will find that. I think you're going to see a much different Bulldog squad um, when we they take the ice, especially when the NCHC conference schedule starts up. Um, I think by that time in the exhibition schedule, uh, they're going to be running in all cylinders. Yeah, Minnesota Boy 99 wants to know uh, why do their seats make no sense with the gold? Um, oh, that's just kind of like a retro thing, basically. It's, it's not... uh, for those who don't know what the Met Center was, uh, you talk yeah. about a cluster F of, of seat colors. I mean, yeah. kind of a throwback to them, but yeah. not quite as exaggerant. I don't know. If you've never been to Amsla Arena, I mean, I know some people, I guess, you know, aren't particular fans of it. 
Um, I, I think it's a beautiful building. Um, we got to go it there really is. And, yes. and do a couple of those games. I mean, it was just so much fun. Easy to get from place to place in that building. You can easily get down from the Zamboni room all the way up to the upper deck within probably two or three minutes. I mean, it's it's pretty impressive. Um, so I yeah, I know you and I had a blast when we were down there. Of course, I was down at the Zamdor interviewing Scott Perunovich's mom at one point down there. So um, it was a, a lot of fun for us, I think. So um, mm-hmm. and I never... great uh, broadcast position too. Yeah. Um, on the uh, not the upper level uh the press box on kind of the main concourse level so a bit it's of a almost different like look like like sweet seating almost yeah um very very good um um seating for us as broadcasters too and again yeah. the uh got to credit the media relations and the pr staff too will also do a really good job of getting us set up up there when we were up there and some one of the best press box foods up there too some really really good deeds uh, for those who uh, enjoy the broadcast booth up there i think uh, uh maybe a certain radio broadcaster um would agree with us yeah, I definitely so, agree. I definitely agree as well. Uh, another question coming here um, at, as well from, if I can find it here. Yeah, yes, uh, at Dees2004 again. Uh, what kind of progression will we see from Blake Biondi and Dominic James this year? We talked a little bit about these guys and kind of what they brought to the table. Blake Biondi, who's going to be a junior this year, was second on the team in points with 28, mm-hmm. um, of course. And then uh, you have a player who's, uh, again, continuing to grow in, in Dominic James, who... Um, you know, had a pretty decent season for a freshman, I would say. I mean, 18 points uh, was mm-hmm. like sixth or seventh in terms of forward scoring last season. Uh, I I would not be surprised in the least to see both these guys take the jump next season. Uh, Beyond a really open some eyes last year as he really sort of took the team on his back at times and really provided mm-hmm. a lot of offensive spark. Um, I would think, again, that he's going to be a big driver of that. Now, as far as progression is concerned, you know, Again, a different makeup, and you kind of wonder, too, um, if some of these freshmen and these highly touted offensive freshmen are able to assimilate and you give them a chance to play with each other, oh, boy, uh, yeah. that could be really fun to watch if you're a Bulldog fan. Um, so I still think that he trends up. I still think we're going to see a lot of progression from Blake. Uh, and I think we talk about Biondi. And not only with his offense, but I think he's so underrated with his defensive play as a forward too. Really, really good yep. at getting in shot lanes. He's really good with the stick. And and again, trying to force and funnel pucks into those areas that you can try to retrieve and, and try to transition the puck the other way. So I think that only continues to go up for Blake. And he's going to be probably, as far as upperclassmen is concerned, be the guy to watch if you're a Bulldog fan. And and we talked about it too, Nick. Um, you know, coming in, uh, Blake Biondi was plus fifteen and was second on the team in scoring. So definitely, um, some really good statistics there as well. I should apologize. I said it was uh, Tanner uh, Ladderroot that was uh, plus eighteen last season. I apologize. He was actually dash three. It was actually Owen Galanton in the in the row yeah, above him. Yeah. yeah, on on the back end. Um, so I apologize on that one. Uh, a couple more questions here, Nick. Uh, Derek Felska wants to know a two parter here. Will Wyatt Kaiser win the Hobie Baker Award? Um, and is the Hermantown Talent no. Pipeline one of the best in college hockey? Um, he will not win the Hobie Baker. Um, I, I, now, when I say that, Wyatt Kaiser's game is not. It's not that flashy offensive Hobie Baker s thing. And like you, I'm sure you're about to allude to. It's like it's it. Th- that's not a knock on him. It's just he's a complete two hundred. Really good. Player. Yeah, he's a two hundred foot player, which just doesn't win you Hobie Baker awards. Right. It's really tough. I mean, again, Kale McCarr is the exception, right? Because his game and he's almost transforming the defensive position in front of our eyes at the National Hockey League. But historically, unless you have 
those offensive numbers, the Holby Baker candidates just don't seem to favor defensemen mm -hmm. um, in that regards, right? I know Scott Perunovich, if you want to call it someone close to that, why Kaiser's game is a much more quiet than that. Now, again, he's still very gifted offensively. I think he's one of the more deceptive defensemen with his eyes and his body in terms of moving the puck. I've seen him run the power play, and man, is he good in terms of really – making a penalty killers guess where he's going with the puck because he walks the line very well. Again, his eyesight, he just, he scans the eye so very well. So, yeah. but again, he's not really driving that many points. So I don't know, like he's, it could be in the mix, but to me, his natural game to me wouldn't garner naturally. I think of the, the natural votes of the way just the Holby mm -hmm. is kind of voted on. Yeah. What about Hermantown? Uh, we're kind of popping Max Vich's tires a little bit here. The oh talent boy. pipeline, one of the best in college hockey. I will say I did play against Hermantown my freshman year of high school by against a guy by the name of Neil Pionk, um, who has been right. pretty decent. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I would say they were pretty good with their uh, multiple appearances uh, in the championship game in the Minnesota high school tournament. It took them a long time to finally get over the hump, obviously, with St. Thomas. But uh, I'd say it's pretty darn good uh, moving into the yeah. collegiate world, too. Yeah, hundred percent agreed. I think Herman Town. You know, first of all, go to Double A, but that's <laughs> I digress from that. Um, <laughs> I mean, they they really could. They really could. Um, I know that you know. There's been rumors of maybe why they they haven't done that. But then again, the you got to credit the development and then this and the coaching that they do because again, it's not like it's one class that's come through. They continue to have a, a steady pipeline of really talented players come through Hermantown. A big reason why you see them at the state tournament. We're talking for the folks listening outside of Minnesota, the Minnesota State High School Hockey Tournament. There always seem to be a, a big name there that. No, it just appears there, but they're uh, tend to be heavy favors to go at least into the championship game and not take it all. Yeah. Two more fan questions here. This one comes from Drew Smith underscore 08. This one kind of made me laugh here. Uh, chances Duluth meets up with Omaha at the X come March. Uh, I uh, believe well, maybe, but I believe very much that uh, Duluth will be there. The question is sure. Omaha, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Duluth, I think is, is going to be there, but Omaha, they're gonna. Like, I think we mentioned this in our preview. I think there's some, there's potential there, but I think there's gonna have to be some cards that fall their way uh, to kind of mm -hmm. get them over that hump. Now, granted, NCHC playoffs. If you're Huskies fans, we know that that's not a guarantee, right? So, can Omaha get hot? Uh, maybe yeah. they can. To, um, to be honestly fair, uh, Duluth and Omaha might get each other in the fir first round of the playoffs too, and they might, right? You know? so, so, I mean, it's possible, um, but. At least as of right now, season preview, which is, you know, totally going to be 100% accurate from both of us <laughs> as we look back at this uh, in March, instead oh, uh, yeah. no one ever. Um, you just never know, right? Um, I think, again, just based on the talent level and the rosters, I think it's safer to say Duluth would be there, but Nebraska-Omaha may be a bit of a stretch as of right now. But again, not a single game of hockey has been played, so we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, I'm trying to think last year, what is it we had like – we had like – Duluth one, St. Cloud two, North Dakota three, Western four, Denver five. Yeah, that worked out well. Uh, really well. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, last fan question. This one comes from our friend, our listener, Caleb J. Peabody. He wants to know oh, how many times will Max Beach poop his pants this year, claiming the officiating is rigged against Duluth. Um, I don't hmm. know the I don't know the over under here, Nick, but I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with at least 14 times this season. I would think. 
I think you are probably a little bit conservative in that and that yeah. gesture, but because you know they play how many games, like thirty some, I'd say that's probably a, a good you know. Yeah, bar maybe to maybe maybe, maybe two per game. I mean, statistically, I mean, we haven't looked at it. We've only just started tracking the stat, but statistically, it has been a really high number. So I mean, yeah, <laughs> uh, um, yeah. So and granted, you know, there were well, let's put it this way: there were some that at least initially prior to video review maybe there was a case but then well dare we say you know the the two guys you in know, the boxes here maybe broke some down and you know and i think it kind of goes both ways i think duluth probably you know with the missed uh stick lift so to speak and then you have the little the jam play stick with, lift, yeah. yeah the jam play with the the shootout shot or whatever i mean i can see why you feel a little bit slighted with those sorts of things mm-hmm. and it seemed like louis rail was good for about a penalty a game unfortunately when he came to st cloud but you know mm-hmm. i I mean, uh, we're just here to comment on it. You know, we don't do the officiating. So um, what else can we say? But something that we can keep our eyes on here, Nick, our final two questions, as always, if you're the Duluth Bulldogs, you want to have success in the NCHC this year. You've got a good mix of upperclassmen, but 10 incoming freshmen that you got to get up to speed. Granted, they have great skill. What's it going to take to be successful for this team? And if you're St. Cloud, you get them four times in the second half of the season. How the heck are they going to finally solve the Bulldogs? So if, if you're if you're a Minnesota Duluth, right, it's about getting those freshmen acclimated as soon as you can um, and, and really getting them into a spot you feel comfortable. And a lot of that is just keeping the game simple, right? Against uh, Scott Sandlin doesn't play like the most, you know, what do you call it, a complicated system, but he does yeah. a simple system very, very well. So I think for them, you know, just trying to, you know, just get everybody comfortable um, because then, you know, hockey, and maybe we don't say this enough, no, but hockey is such a game especially when you want to play a certain way that it has to be instinctual for you to be successful. Um, If you can feel like you know where you need to be without the puck and dare I say with the puck, right? Where you can just kind of feel, and it's hard to Mm -hmm. explain it. I think to folks that never played the game, but if you can just kind of feel like, okay, if I'm here on the ice and, you almost don't have to look, right? Whether it's a defensive partner or a winger, your other forward, and you can have that level of comfort that everybody's where they're supposed to be in that trust. Um, this Duluth Bulldog squad with the added skill up front, a little bit more bigger bodies in, um, in their back end. And again, what could be another really good goaltending tandem in back. Mm-hmm. Uh, this team, you know, man, uh, that's going to be the key to their success. If you're saying cloud, uh, to me, that's kind of, you know, how you maybe stop a little bit. Now, granted, when they see them, it's yeah. going to be late in the season. You would think at that point, the irons will pro the, I should say the wrinkles are going to be ironed out, not the other way around, Nick, my goodness. <laughs> the um, irons will definitely be wrinkled out there. Yes, they will. Um, <laughs> but you, you're going to have to almost sort of, you know, dare I say, kind of drive it back down their throats a little bit. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I, I think Duluth, you're going to see a little bit more aggressive style offensively because they're going to have some pieces that can help push the pace. So with St. Cloud, you're going to have to kind of real fight punch for punch with them. And I really do think that if you can maybe wear them down a little bit, the one thing that Duluth got into a little bit of trouble last season was extended time in their own zone. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can really get them below the, the red line and then also generate shots from the point, it's going to be really tough for, I, I think, any team to get to the interior against Minnesota Duluth. It always has been a knock. Um, I shouldn't say knock, but always kind of been a staple for Scott Sanders at protecting the house. Um, mm-hmm. So if you can try to get, you know, be able, and I should I suppose for Dave Scheich, it's the grease pan goals. I think that's kind of how you're really going to be able to draw attention and then also maybe open things up on rebounds. To me, that's how you do it. 
Yeah, I think if you're St. Cloud and you're attacking it, like you mentioned, the Huskies did a really nice job of working directly into the defensive structure that the Bulldogs had last season. Even when the even when the Luth was stuck in their own zone for long periods of time, St. Cloud was a little bit too cute, uh, you know, trying to make that extra pass. Just snap a puck. If you find a middle lane, get a puck on the stick, off the stick, snap a puck on that, you know. Uh, just create a shooting lane and get a puck through traffic. I think, you know, it was so easy to try to make the extra cute pass, try to set up a play, and then they would shoot right into a defenseman. If you're saying cloud, uh, it goes back to the age-old adage that every every fan with a Pabst in their hand is yelling, shoot the puck, um, yep. you know, and shoot it quickly on the stick, off the stick, and just try to find shooting lanes against this Duluth team. It doesn't the- give up many. Right. And I think the Huskies really struggled with that last year. And I think that was the difference maker where they were outplaying the Bulldogs for long stretches of some of these hockey games. But like I said, Scott Sandlin and his club are comfortable playing low scoring games, relying on their goaltender and having the defensive storm get weathered, so to speak. On the other side, like you mentioned, getting the freshman up to speed, I think is going to be important. I think kind of defining, you know, who's our goaltender and who's going to be the guy that takes the mantle from Ryan Fanta here. And I know we talked about Mm -hmm. the three goaltenders as well, too. Having that healthy competition is nice, but I think, you know, in the past couple of years, when you had, uh, you know, Stayskull, obviously who's going to be with the team, you had Ryan Fanta's success. You had Hunter Shepard for all of those years. Um, Not Derek Shepard, mind you, Um, you know, (laughs) having a netminder back there that makes you feel comfortable as a bulldog has kind of been an MO for letting them play relaxed and realizing that if they're getting outplayed, they're even keel. We talked so much about that five overtime game a couple of years ago against North Dakota and Scott Salen talked about keeping those emotions, you know, uh, the highs and lows kind of even keel. And that's something that him and his coaching staff does really well. Yes, Part of that is you. accepting the fact that you might be under duress in an overtime. Do you trust the guys out there? Do you trust the defensive core? Do you trust the goaltender having good goaltending, and the good defensive crew that they already have, I think is just going to make this Bulldogs team feel more comfortable. And then they can start to work on the offense that was a little bit lacking comparative to the shot margins last year. Um, and once they get that train rolling, I think they're going to be very successful. So as always, we wish the Duluth Bulldogs the best of luck in the NCHC, of course, except against our St. Cloud State Huskies. Uh, with that being said, we will head on to our extra eye session. We're going to talk a little bit about the Women's World Championships. And welcome into the Extra Ice Session. Nick Maxson joining myself, Noah Grant, here for a very quick little Extra Ice Session here. The Women's World Championships just getting underway. Um, I believe in Denmark uh, is where it was at when I looked. Um, Don't quote me on that, but I'm almost positive it was in Denmark. I I see the flag in my head, but then I also saw the Hungary flag because Hungary is in in here as well. Um, Mm -hmm. But I'm almost positive it's Denmark because they're in the tournament. They are the host team, so they do get a bit into the medal round regardless. But uh, for those who are wondering here, Nick, uh, Group A is the United States, Canada, uh, the Swiss, the Finns, and Japan uh, rounding out the top five for Group A. Group B is the Swedes, um, who right now are leading that group. Uh, the Czechs, the Hungarians, Germany, and Denmark uh, as well. And they played various uh, – each team has either played two or one game, respectively, at the time of recording here, uh, midway through Saturday here. So for those who are wondering, um, the tournament is a little bit different um, than the World Junior Championship. Some things are the same. Some things are a little bit different. As you know, it was the top four teams from Group A and B that got into the World Junior Championship medal rounds. For this one, it's a little bit different. Ten teams are divided into those two-tiered groups. After a single round-robin series in each group, the five teams, so all five teams from Group A and the top three teams from Group B advance to the playoff round. So the quarterfinals, um, 
the best team from the A group plays the worst team from that group of three in the B group. Uh, second best team in A plays the second worst team in B. Third best team plays the first team in the B bracket. And then the fourth and fifth place teams in the A bracket play each other and then they get reseeded accordingly. Now that might all sound the same. Semifinals are the same, um, you know, gold medal games, that sort of thing, bronze medal games. The only difference is the quarterfinal place losers will play placement games in a knockout format, and the winner of the fifth place game will earn their group A seeding for next year. So that's the only difference is that even if you get knocked out earlier in the medal round, you still have something to play for for the upcoming international tournaments and the teams that will be there. So the United States currently has played two contests. They beat Japan by a score of 10 to 1 and Finland by a score of 6 to 1. They have the Swiss coming up in a couple days and they uh, play host to Canada on August 30th uh, to finish mm-hmm. up that matchup. So that'll be an exciting one here. Uh, current and former St. Cloud State players, there's probably more than four, but the four that I could find, you need a Newland um, from Finland. The forward has two games played, hasn't had a point, and is minus five. The Finns have kind of struggled out of the gate as of recent. Uh, forward Laura Zimmerman, um, Swiss-born player, has a single assist and a plus one rating in her only game played so far. Clara Himlerova, who, of course, we've talked about um, for the Czechs for a long time now, has a single goal to her credit in one game and a plus one rating. And then the final one here, the other forward, uh, the former St. Cloud State Husky, Laura Kluge from Germany. Two games played for him. She's got a goal, two assists, three points uh, for her. A pretty good little start to the tournament uh, for the German-born uh, St. Cloud State University product. Uh, so, Nick, um, as we've taken a look, the U.S. currently leading their group ahead of Canada and the Swiss, who have played one less game than the U.S., and the U.S. goal differential is 16-1 to 1 right now. Um, mm-hmm. which goal differential is obviously very important in international play. Um, on the other side, the Swedes are leading the Czechs and the Hungarians in Group B here. Game's just kind of getting underway here, Nick. But I think the more important question to start off here, how awesome is it that we're finally getting the Women's World Championship that has been so long awaited and so delayed by the IHF? Uh, You know, it, it's, <laughs> dare I say, um, first of all, well overdue. Yeah. Well overdue. Um, and granted, you know, the fact that this is even being played right now is sort of a half miracle, too. And it should never have been that way. You know, I, I remember when the men's was starting and then it was postponed because of a COVID outbreak. And then right. seemingly without warning, the women's was canceled, too. And what you never heard was any rescheduling um, of of those set events. Right. So it really was kind of. It, there was some public outcry and rightfully so. Um, and so to have this uh, finally taking place and to, to give these very talented, well-deserving, hardworking young women a chance to compete on the international stage. Again, I'm just glad that it's here and get a couple of Huskies, as you mentioned, making their mark. Uh, you talk about, uh, was it Zimmerman, right? Who's a Swiss mm-hmm. born, Laura um, Zimmerman, yep. a fresh, uh, a freshman coming in. Um, holy cow. Um you know, you talk about size, she's listed at five foot three, yeah. Noah Grant. So talk about probably a water bug there. Um, I thought, was it, uh, I'm trying to remember the senior defenseman we had um, very early on in the show that I think was like five foot four. I'm oh, trying to remember what her name was. You're thinking of uh, um, Abby Thiessen, aren't you? Not Abby Thiessen. No. Um, 
Let me think. Well, let me go back to the roster while yeah, you're go while back you're to the roster. So yeah, do your job, Noah. Jeez. Yeah, do your job. <laughs> so, but yeah, no, very, very cool. Um, you need a new again back for her fifth year, I believe. Uh, with the Huskies again, electing to to play another year. So, and again with international competition, it's always fun. Again, as you mentioned a little bit of. I suppose for the Finns, right, who have struggled, this is a bit of a surprise, I would think. Uh, the Finns, usually a very good 200-foot team, um, have struggled both on the offense and the defensive side of the puck. So a bit of a surprise there. Uh, the U.S. and Canada always seems to be the marquee matchup in Group A, especially in the prelims. Um, you're talking about two organizations that just trade blows. And um, in the past couple of years, Noah, when these two have had – there was it an exhibition game, whether it's in St. Paul or not – that's a game that draws a lot of attention. And so no question on August 30th, when those two teams meet, that's going to be one that I think even for true hockey fans should have circled on the calendar. It's a quite the battle, quite fun yeah. game to watch. The two names that I can think of, Kenzie Wiley was five, five. And then Hannah Bates, who of course is playing professional hockey at five foot four the past couple of years. Um, she was a senior that, yeah, I'm trying what, to remember what, what year you're talking about. Cause I just went to the year that you and I were there and then the year after, um, and I didn't see anybody that matched those parameters uh, on the defensive side, unfortunately, it was Dana. Oh, it wasn't. It was Dana Rasmus. Yeah, she's a forward. Yeah, yeah. That's that's yeah. where I goofed up. Yep. Sorry. Yeah, that's Five okay. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so um, yeah, and a uh, good little career for her on the her on the forward side, obviously, in terms of production. Uh, speaking of production, the United States roster is kind of fun to go through that and see uh, some of the players that are having uh, some really good careers here uh, on the defensive side. Uh, Lee Steckline uh, coming uh, from the. Uh, um, PWHPA, I should say, playing for Minnesota right now. Uh, Kayla Barnes uh, playing at Boston College. Uh, Carolyn Harvey, Megan Keller um, on the back end as well. Savannah Harmon and uh, Jincy Dunn, who, of course, has had a very uh, storied start to her career on the international stage, uh, moving back in the past decade or so on the defensive side here. Nick, a lot of good players, a lot of professional players on the U.S. roster as well, too. Mm -hmm. um, forward side, uh, in uh um, Lacey Eden, I should say, from the University of Wisconsin. Uh, boy, she had a heck of a career. Abby Ruck um, playing with Minnesota professionally, as well as Kelly Ponick as well. Um, Grace Zumwinkle playing for the University of Minnesota had a yes. chance to had a chance to um, skate with her a little bit uh, in Fargo. Um, she likes to skate a little bit too. Um, pretty good hockey player, obviously, um, playing for the University of Minnesota there. Uh, forward side as well too, as we kind of go through the list again here. Um, Haley Skimura. Uh, coming from New Hampshire um, professionally there as well. Jesse Comfer from the University of Wisconsin. Uh, Hannah Brandt, uh, Hillary Knight, uh, two names that U.S. fans will know very, very well playing professionally yes, um, from Minnesota. Hannah Bilka from Boston College on the forward side. Alex Carpenter, um, she's coming actually from KRS um, in Russia. So kind of interesting to see that name on there. Um, some gal by the name of Kendall Coyne Schofield. Um, She's know, is, she, right. is she fast? I, I, she I don't know. Be. Speaking of speaking of water bugs, there by the way, um, coming in at five foot two. For those who are curious, um, also I did not realize um, that Megan Keller and Hillary Knight are both five eleven. Um, yeah, I don't know why I didn't realize that. Yeah, um, um, and then Taylor Heisey of the for the University of Minnesota, she's five ten. Um, on the forward side, Amanda Kessel, um, playing professionally with New Hampshire. Um, she's on the forward side as well, too. I also miss defenseman um, Rory Goulday um, from Cornell University as well. Three netminders, Nicole Hensley, Aaron Frankel, and Maddie Rooney, of course, the former Minnesota Duluth Bulldog, playing professionally right now, round out the netminders here. So this is a U.S. team that has some familiar names that we've seen in years past, but also has some names that are kind of fresh new faces that bring that youth infusion to this roster here. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, you're going to see a little bit of a change in the guard these next couple of years, too, with Team USA. I mean, you mentioned Amanda Castle, Kendall Coyne, Schofield, uh, players that have no question made their mark uh, on the game of hockey, especially on the women's side for the U.S., but getting up there a little bit, too, right? And so you're having this nice youth infusion. Um, and again, one thing we've seen this on the men's side, too, is just the amount of depth of talent that they continue um, to develop here. And I think for the women's game too, um, one thing that's been really fun to see is, you know, just, I, dare I say like the, the fans perspective, which is, Oh, it's, you know, it's women's hockey. They can't check, but it's like, no, these leaders are good. Yeah. Um, and again, Grace Zumwinkle had a, you know, a chance to see her skate many times again, playing St. Cloud. I mean, she was or dare I say, like, it was almost unfair how, how skilled she is. Yeah. Um, just, it's just insane. Uh, so that, that to me has been the biggest thing is, you know, so what, what's the next wave look like? And we're getting a pretty good uh, look at it. Um, again, was it uh, 10 and then six so 16 goals in two games? Not too shabby. Yeah. yeah. And only one goal against two uh, Canadian side uh, players that are coming from the old WCHA Ashton Bell from the university of Minnesota Duluth. Of course, Emma Malte, who has been an exceptional player for Ohio state the past couple of years. Very She's much a so. Great addition on the offensive side. And then of course, let's not forget, of course, not WCHA product, but Sarah nurse who just got named with Trevor Zegras to the cover of NHL 23. Yes. The sister of Darnell nurse who plays for the Edmonton Oilers as well. And some really good players filling out this Canadian roster too. that matchup on August 30th is going to be really exciting too. So the tournament just kind of getting underway. So we don't really have a whole lot of updates beyond that, but I think it's important to kind of put it on people's radar to give them a chance to kind of uh, take in some of those games. Yeah. What's up. Also, um, as you finish your thought, we, we missed some big news even last week concerning the St. Cloud women's side too. Yeah. Um, well, why don't you fill us in on that next and see your, uh, you're on top of it more than it's I am. on top of it. Uh, yeah. Molly Engstrom uh, taking the head coaching job at, at the University of Maine. Yeah. Um, and this was, I don't know if unexpected or this was a little bit of a shock too, because again, Molly Engstrom. Timing uh, more than timing anything. Timing more than yeah. anything. Um, it definitely was in the running for uh, to replace um, Steve McDonald as the uh, the women's head hockey coach uh, for mm -hmm. her. Unfortunately, they went with a different role. Brian Adelski, I believe. Yes, uh, that is the uh, the new women's yep. hockey head coach. So you kind of wonder if that maybe was part of the decision. Obviously, we don't know, but um, named to the University of Maine again as their new head coach. Definitely wanted to be a head coach, and she's going to get a good start there in Maine. So we congratulate her. It's going to stink to not see her around the Herbrooks National Hockey Center. Yeah. Also, a great person to chat with on and off the ice. Uh, Janelle Sergey still with the organization again with St. Cloud, but uh, one less familiar face behind the Huskies events there on the women's side. Yeah, the nice thing that St. Cloud has Janelle and Molly, of course, have built that framework as far as the recruiting side. They've done a fantastic job, obviously. And then Brian Adalski brings that wealth of experience. I think him and Janelle, at least to start, will be just fine uh, trying to transition this group into some WCHA action. Of course, the women get started on September 25th, the same day the Minnesota Wild preseason gets underway. And then October 1st, the St. Cloud State men's team plays their first game on a Saturday. It's kind of a weird weekend with that weekend starting in October. Most of the teams play playing Saturday, Sunday, for whatever reason, mm -hmm. just to start the season. I don't know what the reasoning is for that. I'm sure I've missed it, but you know, it will even when the um, I was calling like that exhibition game against the University of Illinois, those were Sunday night games. So that's yeah. uh, that's not unheard of. I think we up and just kind of forget that that first weekend is just kind of goofy um, yeah. having those Sunday type games. Um, again, I kind of wonder why that is. Um, yeah. But uh, nonetheless, yeah. 
there it is. <laughs> yeah. So to kind of look forward here as we look at the rest of what our schedule has to hold, of course, next weekend, we might actually have an early recording and potentially a Friday release. We have some scheduling things to work out. Of course, Nick and I, I just started my last year of nursing school. And Nick, of course, is getting ready for his exciting endeavors moving forward with his career as well, too. So um, yeah, so that's, <laughs> that's the hope anyway. So uh, we're thinking about maybe a Thursday night recording for that one. So that one might come out a little bit earlier. If it doesn't, for whatever reason, we'll try to keep you updated it would be either probably a tuesday morning release or at the latest wednesday morning we'll try not to push it beyond that but the hope is to get it uh within a normal time frame for all of you listeners uh next week's team comes in at number two in the nchc who the heck will it be we'll probably put out a poll too of course the only two teams remaining denver and north dakota who the heck do our listeners think it's going to be at number two and number one the number one team will be the weekend after the weekend of september 9th through the 11th and then the weekend of the 16th through the 18th we will cover our st cloud state Huskies coming in at number four for our NCHC preview. So with that being said, no, we're at number four. We just did Duluth. Duluth is number three. You goof. Three, two, one. You're right. Yeah. Look at that. <laughs> See, so so that's, that's what we're saying is that Nick Maxson wants the Bulldogs to finish fourth, even though we have him at third. It, it is what it is. What yeah, can we say? We've got fair. that. We've got that bias. I, thanks, I, I, thanks for picking me up. I appreciate that. You know, <laughs> well, here's the thing, though. Really, both of these teams, St. Cloud and Duluth, I, I anticipate them to be neck and neck again. Um, yeah. So really, those two teams could flip flop and, and very much um, change places. I still believe both of them are going to have home ice in the NCHC. I think that's kind of the bottom line here for us. But you'll have to see the other two teams that we believe are going to get home ice and who the heck is going to take the Penrose atop the NCHC mountain at the end of next season, or at least who we think. And we'll probably get it wrong like we did last year but nonetheless we enjoy all of our listeners and viewers joining us for the ride for nick maxson i'm noah grant and we will see you soon for episode number 127 and your one timer coming they score In for a chance to win it, he scores! Kirill the Thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner! St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.